Thank you to Bruce and Pam for doing music. This week, Carrie informed me. She said, you say that's lovely every week. I was like, I don't say that every week. So, I'm sure even if you're not a sports fan, people saw the story this week of the football player in Monday night's game who nearly died on the field. And it was just striking to see players praying on the field, which that you see quite a bit in football. But you also saw people leading prayers in the stands. I saw a uh, host on ESPN, Dan Orlovsky, praying on the network, uh, and just a powerful reminder of how fragile life is and uh, our, our need for God, and that in times of crisis, that is where, that is where we go. And so that was just something uh, pretty, pretty striking and good to hear that he's on the mend. Um, Galatians is where we'll be today, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Hope everybody had a good week and hope people are healthy and feeling good. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers, Lord, and that regardless of if a person prays to you every day, or maybe it's been a long time, maybe they never have, Lord, that, that you are receptive to our prayers, that you hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we want to pray for Josh and Katie Hall as they're traveling back to South Carolina today. We want to pray for safe travels for them. Lord, we want to pray for... For this church, we continue to pray for, for all of us that we continue to grow, Lord, as your people, Lord, that we grow in holiness, that we grow in love for you, Lord. We pray for opportunities to reach people with the good news of the gospel. We pray for our community, Lord, for people who don't know your son, who don't know Jesus, Lord, that, that we would have opportunities. Lord, we pray for divine appointments to be able to share the good news, to be a witness, to be there for people, to be a light in a dark world. And Lord, we pray for our time this morning as we can continue to study your most holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. George P. Burdell received numerous college degrees, served in the military, He'd later be on the editorial board for a popular magazine and even had his name on a satellite. You'd say that was quite the life, but as you'll see, George P. Burdell never actually earned any of those accomplishments. All of it was because of the work of someone else. We're resuming in Galatians today. We took several weeks away from this series for Advent and New Year's. I think that's always worth doing, but I'm also glad to be back in the book of Galatians. Considering the hiatus that we took, I think it's worth remembering the context of the flow of Paul's argument that will lead us to the beginning of our passage in chapter 3, verse 10. 
If you've been here every week, these next couple moments will be review, but I still think it's helpful as we get back into this book. A major distinction throughout Galatians is the contrast between gospel and law. And the background reason why it matters so much to the book of Galatians is that there were people who had infiltrated the Galatian churches and who were still trying to impose Old Testament law onto the gospel. And as we've said before, a gospel with law is no gospel at all. And a point that Paul makes in chapter 2 is that the law cannot save you. You cannot be good enough on your own to earn God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And Paul will carry that conversation of grace and law into chapter 3 beginning in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. In the beginning of that section, Paul talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit to believers in the gospel. His point is that that is not by works. We don't earn the Spirit, and we certainly don't do anything to deserve the Spirit. It is something which God gives on the basis of faith to people who are born-again believers in the gospel. Verse 6, Paul will point to the example of Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that example of Abraham is very important. Throughout this chapter, Paul is looking to Abraham as the prototype of faith and the righteousness which God gives on the basis of that faith. Paul mentions Abraham eight times in this chapter alone. And the references will continue into the passage where Lord willing will also be next week. The faith by which the Lord gives us the Spirit when he causes us to be born again as believers in the gospel is the same faith through which the Lord had counted Abraham as righteous so many centuries before. And as I've said before, the righteousness of God through faith is really the main idea of the entire book of Galatians. Paul just keeps repeating this idea and defending this idea in different ways. At the end of our passage in verse 14, Paul will again intertwine these ideas of faith, the promises made to Abraham, and the Holy Spirit. Verses 7 through 9 Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, 
Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. <clears throat> there, what Paul is saying is that faith has always been the basis for God's justification. The blessing to the nations that God had promised long ago to Abraham was God's worldwide gospel, whereby people of every tribe and tongue and nation would ultimately be saved through the redemptive work of Christ. And I know I just went through all of that very quickly. Again, my point isn't to spend a lot of time in those verses today. It's just to keep us on Paul's train of thought as it rolls into our section today. And with that, we'll come to that section. And the main idea of today's passage is that Jesus was cursed so that we can be blessed. And I know in the bulletin, and by the way, we are out of bulletin, so if, if you need one, you can have mine when we're done. But today's section, I, I call it an audible. I know there's three points in there, but it's actually just going to be two things. Cursed and blessed. The curse of sin and the blessing of Christ. First part, cursed. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul had previously said that the law cannot save you. But here he explains why the law cannot save you. It doesn't save us because we can't follow it. And this isn't the only place in the New Testament where we see this idea. We also see it from James, the brother of the Lord. James 2.10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It was one sin which caused man to be cast out of the garden. And it only takes one sin to be a transgressor against God's law. But let's also be realistic. We sin all the time. 1 Kings 8.46, there is no one who does not sin. Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Psalm 14, the psalmist will talk about how there is no one who is without sin. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That language will be used later on in Romans chapter 3 by Paul. Repeatedly, the Bible teaches that we all sin. And as I've said many times, our own experiences and interactions with other people constantly confirm that. In our passage, when Paul says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's quoting from a section from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. And that's very smart of Paul. Because he's quoting from the law to show the consequences of failing to uphold the law. Deuteronomy 27 is shortly before the Israelites enter the promised land. And it's giving them various covenant obligations. And these obligations contain things like the forbidding of idolatry, commands to honor one's parents, prohibitions from taking bribes, warnings about sexual sin. But then at the end of all of that, 
Deuteronomy 27.26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. And so, to people who wanted to impose the law on these Galatian Christians, Paul is quoting from the law, and his point is that that is an unattainable standard. When Paul points to the faith of Abraham as the example for us all, he's pointing to someone who was justified by faith even before the law was given. Because it has always been about faith. We could never be saved by the law. And a thoughtful person might ask, then what's the purpose of the law? The law reveals the holiness of God. It points us to our sin because we don't follow the law. It pointed the Israelites to how they were supposed to live set apart as a covenant community. The law and its precepts could restore a person to covenant relationship with God, but it does not put a person on a pathway through which they can save themselves. Hopefully we all follow our laws, federal, state, local laws. That means that you don't go to jail. It does not mean that you'll have eternal life. And the purpose of the Old Testament law was never meant to be a means of eternal life. The Old Testament gives us this law that we cannot follow, but it is also constantly pointing forward to something greater, to the child of the woman who will crush the serpent, to the promised son of Abraham, to the lion of the tribe of Judah, to the greater king of Israel, to the suffering servant, to God with us, to one who would follow the law. And the one who followed the law died on a cross to forgive us our sins. And Paul is writing to a church where people were still trying to impose the law of the Old Testament as a basis for salvation. And he's saying that to believe in this law for your salvation brings a curse because you will be condemned for your sins. Trying to save yourself by your own goodness will not bring life but death. The law isn't bad. The problem is that we're sinful and that we can't follow the law because the standard for our standing before God is perfection. Again, I've said this before, but our, our salvation isn't based on some moral scale where we're just trying to tip it in our favor. Nor does God grade us on a curve where we just need to be a little bit better than the average person to be considered good. You might be more moral than your neighbor or some knucklehead in your family, but that's not God's standard. It's not like the joke where if you're in the woods with a group of people and a bear starts chasing you, where you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun the, outrun the slowest person in the group. That isn't how righteousness is defined. It's not by a human standard. It's by God's standard. It is righteousness which is required to be in God's presence. And we can't just be pretty good or follow part of the law or usually be moral because that isn't good enough. And I say this often, but what matters in this verse is that Paul is explaining why the law can't save. 
Because even one sin is a violation of God's holy law. There are no small sins. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But the good news is that we have a Savior who was cursed so that we can be blessed. We come to our second part, blessed. Verse 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes again from the Old Testament. Here he's quoting from the book of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. And a previous section that we already quoted, Paul referred back to Genesis and Abraham and how he was justified by faith. But a person still could have argued, well, maybe the reason why Abraham could be justified by faith was because he lived before the law. But now Paul is quoting from the prophets to show that the Old Testament is still talking about righteousness and faith. Verses 12 and 13. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now there's a little bit to unpack here. Verse 12 is probably the most complicated verse in this passage. In the context of this section, Paul has already been beating the drum that we cannot follow the law. That righteousness is through faith. So when he says that the law is not of faith, he's again pointing to the distinction between the two. The law is not faith, and faith is not the basis for how we keep the law. Let me restate that. The law is not of faith because we are saved ultimately through faith. Faith looks not at what we do the law looks not at how well we can follow it. Faith looks at what Christ has done. And Paul quotes again from the Old Testament, this time the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 5. I'll read that from Leviticus. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. It's a passage that is calling for righteousness. It's pointing to the life that comes from the law. But the problem is, Israel couldn't follow the law. And so in this verse, I would argue that it's ultimately pointing to the person who would perfectly follow the law, and in so doing, not just live, but give eternal life. And I think that's the same sense in which Paul is writing in Galatians 3, when he says, the one who does them shall live by them. We cannot follow the law, but someone has, and it is by faith in him that we have eternal life. We can't follow the law for the basis of our righteousness, but Christ has followed the law, and because of faith in him, we are declared righteous. And Paul carries the thought of what Christ has done into verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Earlier, Paul talked about the curse of trying to follow all the law perfectly because of our sin. But here he's saying that Jesus not only took that curse upon himself, but that he became a curse. Jesus would not only die for our sins, but as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus bore the wrath of God for us who deserved wrath. He faced death for us who were spiritually dead, and he became a curse for us who are cursed. The holy God died for we who are unholy and ungodly. We could never follow the law. We could never be good enough. And that's so often what the world wants to focus on. And that's why so many hate the message of grace. Because for so many, we don't like the idea of a God who has wrath. So many don't like the idea of a God who opposes sin. Don't like the idea of a God who would condemn the people that he made for disobeying his law and his world and not being entitled to his rewards. And so people question God. They question his love, question his goodness. But God is good. Because even though we were sinful, God made a way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For us. And those two words should be a cause for great rejoicing and for praise. That we have a God who redeems. That we have a gracious God who saves. But it should also be humbling that we are sinful people who do not and cannot live up and we have a Savior who went to the cross for us. Not because we're good, because he's good. Not because we're so lovable, but because he's so loving. And so people can complain that they don't like the fact that they can't be good enough on their own. Or they can accept the grace of a Savior who went to the cross for us. And again, that should be humbling. And it should be a reminder of why we need the gospel every day. Because even as a Christian, it can be really easy to feel a sense of moral superiority. It can be easy to feel like we're so far ahead of others. But no matter how good you think you are, just remember that you'd be lost without Christ. No matter how good you think you are, that you can never be good enough on your own. I've heard the analogy before that the worst basketball player in the NBA is closer to LeBron James than any of us are to the worst player in the NBA. They're just so much better than we are. And when we want to play the game of comparing ourselves to the righteousness of those around us, when we're made by a holy God, no matter how good we are or how good we think we are, we're closer to the worst of tyrants than we are to a holy God. And so let us not look down on people. Let us pray for people. Let us not be cynical, but let us be loving. Let us not think that we're better, but let us rejoice that we know that there's salvation. Because apart from Christ, 
We are dead in our sins. I think sometimes we make the mistake of only wanting to focus on grace. And obviously grace is important. We are saved by grace through faith. But it's not so amazing to us if it's not looked at in the light of what it saved us from. If we've been delivered from areas of great sin, we should praise God for that, but not feel superior because of it. Because without the work of Christ, we would have been hopeless. And so may we live as people who, whose lives have been touched by grace, who are still a work in progress, but who have a faithful God, and who want to share the good news that's changed our heart and soul which is that we were cursed because of our sins, but we have a Savior who bore the curse so that we could be blessed. In our passage, Paul says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Once again, quoting from Deuteronomy, being executed is not usually considered to be an honorable death, usually reserved for those who commit serious crimes. And the Old Testament law had its various capital offenses. Now, in the Old Testament, they did not have crucifixion. But one of their methods of execution was death by hanging. And so there's a slight difference between hanging and crucifixion. But that's not Paul's ultimate point. He's pointing to the shaming of execution. That in a public spectacle, Jesus went to the cross he endured the curse of a guilty man, even though he was innocent. And he did that for us. Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I want to remind us of something. I said this in the beginning. But Paul keeps taking us back to Abraham in this chapter. And he's the central figure of the Old Testament. And to the people who were trying to impose Old Testament law on new Christians, they were all well-versed in the story of Abraham and the covenant with Abraham. And what Paul is again reminding us of is that the promise God had made to Abraham so long ago is achieved through Christ. Where the Lord first called Abraham in Genesis 12, even before Abraham believed, the Lord made the promise that he was going to bless Abraham and make him a great nation. The reason why wasn't because of Abraham. It's because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who ensures the blessings because he's the one who was cursed. The bad news of our sin is that we are separated from God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus restores that relationship. The bad news is that we cannot follow the law. The good news is that Jesus did it for us. And when we believe in Jesus, even though we cannot follow the law, it is credited to us by the one who did. And when you come to faith and believe in him, even though we are sinful, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us as if it were our own. I'll close with this. 
1927, a man named Ed Smith applied to Georgia Tech. But a clerical mistake was made, and Mr. Smith was given two enrollment forms. He was a bit of a practical joker and decided to enroll twice. Once under his own name, and a second time as a fake person, George P. Burdell. The name came from combining the name of his high school principal and his mother's maiden name. When Ed enrolled, he enrolled George P. Burdell in all the same classes. He signed George's name on the attendance sheet. If you can believe it, he did all the assignments twice. When exams rolled around, he'd take two copies and take the test twice. For four years, Georgia Tech never knew. They issued George P. Burdell a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, later a master's degree in mechanical engineering. And George P. Burdell had nothing to do with any of it. How could he? Our salvation before God is not because of our own moral actions, because we cannot follow all that God has commanded. We sin, but Jesus does the work for us. He lived a perfect life for us. And when you believe in the gospel, you're believing in the salvation of someone else who did the work for you. After graduating from college, George P. Burdell was enlisted in the Navy, became part of a bomber crew, despite the fact that he didn't exist. He also actually was enlisted in Korea and in Vietnam. Years later, he'd be listed on the editorial board of the satirical magazine, Mad Magazine. He continues to be a running gag with Georgia Tech alumni. He's listed as a member of numerous Atlanta area churches. In 2001, he was one of the leading vote-getters in Time Magazine's online poll for Person of the Year. 2019, a satellite designed through Georgia Tech's School of Aerospace Engineering was sent into orbit, along with the students who had worked on the satellite, on the project. Burdell's name was also engraved. And all those accolades are because of the work of others. The Bible shows us grace and law. It's not two roads to the same destination. One leads to curses, the other leads to blessings. Man's natural desire is to pursue the law and to try to earn his own salvation. But the Bible says it cannot work. But Jesus offers that salvation. Grace and law, blessings and curses, Jesus and you. Who do you trust for your salvation? Do you want to trust yourself? Or do you want to trust in the Savior who lived the life for you and who was cursed for you so that you can be blessed? Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we have a gracious Savior. Lord, the gospel is so simple. It's a message that young children can grasp. But it's a message that we so often overly complicate, Lord. That we are called to the cross and to believe in the Savior who died and rose so that we can have life. And Lord, may everyone here, may we all believe that and know that the salvation is promised and that your Son, Christ the Lord, is faithful. And in his name we pray. Amen.